We are in part two of our two-part series through the book of Philemon, and we entitled it Heart to Heart. That's the name of the series. Today's message is called Bridge Builders. Now, here's something exciting for you. If you're brand new to this church and you were here last week, what you got to do is you got to pump this up. You got to walk around and go, man, you know this one series I heard Pastor Lance preach? That sounds like you've been here forever. You understand what I mean? It's only a two-part series, but you can be like, yeah, this one series sounds super cool, right? Makes you sound good in other Christians' eyes. Now, here's the deal. You want to be able to say, I, books of the Bible I've read? Yep, just read a book of the Bible just the other day. It was Philemon, right? Only one chapter, but that's okay. They don't need to know how many chapters it was. They don't even know what book it was. That's okay. All right, just feel free to brag. Praise the Lord. Okay, here we go. I want to lead you to the fill in the blank, but I have some stories I would like to share. And I want to talk about the cost of doing ministry. Now, I'm going to suggest that perhaps 80% of you not only know the story I'm about to tell, but you could probably come up here and tell it better than I could tell it. Why? Because it's very famous. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody remember the story of the Good Samaritan? In case you're brand new, let me just give you the real quick recap. The story goes something like this. A Jewish man was coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho, probably had been there to visit the temple. As he is coming down a particularly difficult stretch of highway, he ends up being robbed. He gets mugged. Someone comes. They knock him over. They beat him up. Within an inch of his life, they steal all of his money and leave him on the side of the road. A little while later, a priest coming from Jerusalem comes walking that same way. He sees the man, knows that there's a concern, But he goes on the other side of the road and keeps walking. Why? Well, it would make him unclean. There's a lot of baggage and drama attached to that. That's not his business. A little while later, a Levite shows up. That's a priest helper. He probably was coming from temple as well. He goes down that road, sees the man beat up and bloody on the side of the road. He too goes to the opposite side of the road and keeps walking. As Jesus is telling the story, you can imagine the horror on everybody's face, right? Of, oh man, that doesn't sound good. I wonder, wonder who's going to help out. He said, and along comes a Samaritan. That's when everyone, oh, right? Because they didn't know what was going to happen. He said, along comes a Samaritan. Now you have to remember, this is a racism story. Why? Because Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. There was racial hatred. It was about who's half this and who's that and all this tension. They would literally avoid each other to an extreme degree. Jews would go around their entire Samaria district just to get to the other side. So here comes a Samaritan. He sees the need, but he sees a human being. He goes over to that side of the road kneels down and with his own wine and oil, he begins to patch up the wounds as best as he can. Puts the man, lifts him up, puts him onto his own animal so that he doesn't have to walk anymore. Leads him to the nearest inn on the highway, 
goes in, cares for him all night long. In the morning, he's got to go. So he says to the manager of the establishment, can you watch over this guy? I don't know what else he's going to need, but whatever he needs, put it on my tab. When I pass by here next time, I'll pay you off. Jesus, in finishing that story, who had been asking everyone, who do you think your neighbor is? I told you to love your neighbor as yourself. Who do you think your neighbor is? He said, let me ask you this. Out of those three men, who was really, truly a neighbor? They said, well, the Samaritan. Now, of course, they didn't want to say that, but it was clear in the story. A Samaritan, he said, right, so I need you to go do that. Something we need to remember about that story is that was not the Samaritan's job. He wasn't just a highway patrolman, right? Where he just goes back and forth and checks to make sure everything's okay. That is not his job. He had something else to do that day. He was headed somewhere doing something. He had his own life. To stop and engage with that man was to invite in problems, to invite in drama. But he did so because that is a human being in need. And he said, I cannot walk by when that type of struggle is going on. Hmm. It wasn't his job. Why do I keep highlighting that? Because when it comes to problems that we come in contact with, many of us default into a, that's not my job. That's not really my thing. As a matter of fact, sometimes we classify people into different groups to where we'll say, well, why don't they take care of themselves, right? We have a lot of different ways of justifying our ability to just go on about our lives. As a matter of fact, we tend to justify by finding a way to blame the person for why they're in the condition they're in, right? So for example... The Samaritan could have said, seriously, dude, you walk this road alone. Why in the world would you do that? You knew this is a dangerous stretch of highway. Why are you there by yourself? I have a crew that backs me up. They know that. Why would you do that? You know what? You brought this on yourself. Isn't that where he could have gone? How many of us ever engaging with someone that's homeless plays the exact same game? Well, why am I helping you? Why am I working really hard in order to give you something that you didn't earn? You know, what you need to do is actually get a job. Now, what you don't realize is there's a reason that particular person doesn't have a job because of mental illness. Now, you don't see it, but you automatically judge that you know. Because if they're to blame, then you feel released from any reason to help out. I think the Samaritan could have gone through all those things, but he pushed through and he said, what? I need to help out. That right there is another person just like me. How do I help? Here's the bottom line. Active love costs, right? I mean, active love costs. I think a lot of us are shocked when it costs. We are very willing to help out and love on other people as long as we can keep going in the stride that we're going in, as long as it doesn't take too much from us. For example, if we are at church and we're already geared and ready to care for somebody, we can care for somebody. But if you catch us in the middle of Walmart, 
we still got a plan. We got a whole list to do. We got stuff to do after that. And as a matter of fact, we're probably low on time already. So we are not prepped and ready. And we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a lot of cost. If we set it in our minds that active love costs already, then we maybe we won't be surprised. Now, Jesus had this bizarre way of living where he could be driven, accomplish everything the father wanted him to do, but still had time to be interrupted. I'm going to tell you right now, as your pastor, I'm not living that life. Okay, let's be real clear on something. Because a lot of you do something like this. You know what? I'm trying to think like, what would Jesus and what would Pastor Lance do? You need to take one of those names off the list. Right? I mean, I bought into this whole thing where I got an agenda. I got stuff to do, man. I'm going places. And hey, if I can help you out and there's a certain thing that I can do and it happens to work within my parameters, I'm going to do that, right? My heart is full of love and compassion. As long as it's on my agenda. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so there's this struggle in me to keep looking at the life of Jesus and the life of me and realizing the discrepancy. You understand? That's a weird tension to walk because Jesus lived a certain simplicity I don't have. Jesus lived a certain response to the Father's voice and the Holy Spirit's leading that I do not yet have. So I'm still trying to grow in that. But at some point, it should bother us that the way that Jesus lived and the way that we live is so far disparate. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible is full of stories of people stepping into the gap for other people. Now, I did a talk a while back in a conference called Leading in These Times, and I taught on racial reconciliation. And because I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd and fanatic, every time I prep something, I like go through the entire Bible. So I went through and grabbed all the passages I could find on racial reconciliation. So we could be here for the next couple hours as I list that out. But let me just give you four examples. Yeah, that's a little easier. The first one was a story about Abraham and his nephew Lot. Everybody remember that? So this story is famous because it ends up leading to the Sodom and Gomorrah story, which a lot of people are familiar with. But here's what happened. Abraham, when talking, when God was talking to them about future, Abraham went one way. His nephew Lot went the other way. Lot went to go live by a town called Sodom. What you forget, maybe, is that along the way, because Lot was living there, he ended up getting kidnapped. Anybody remember the kidnapping story? He gets kidnapped and taken away by bad guys. Abraham, at 65 years old, straps on a sword, gets a group of his own little buddies that are now special ops, And they go after him and fight and get him back home with all of his stuff. Abraham could have just said, buddy, you've been an idiot. You are an idiot. Why don't you just deal with this on your own? Like, see ya. But he didn't. He jumped in and made it his problem. All right, what about the story of Abigail interceding for her husband? Y'all remember this one? So... Now, let's let's be real clear on something. Her husband's name is Nabal, which means idiot. <laughs> Ladies, I'm just going to give you a little friendly advice from your pastor. If you're going to marry a dude named Idiot, you see it coming, right? It was right there in his name. Okay, so 
Don't come back for counseling. I'm just telling you right now. (laughs) This guy is a jerk and he lives up to his name. And so he's a really wealthy guy. And King David, before he's king, was kind of a rough and tough kind of loose cannon guy that ran around with a tough group of guys. They were providing bodyguard work for his shepherds. Well, he's like, I never asked them to do that. Forget that. Well, the time came for them to get a little something for their effort, right? Now, they determined that, and Nabal's like, I didn't hire you. Forget you. Well, that was a poor decision, right? Why? Because David is going to kill you. That's why it's a poor decision. David and his team said, let's go right now and kill them all. Abigail, the wife, who's the smarter of the team, she then realizes, oh no, everyone's going to die, grabs a bunch of stuff, runs ahead, settles the whole matter with David and says, I'm so sorry for what my husband has done. Okay, so she stood in the gap for her husband, whether he deserved it or not. Third story, perhaps one of the most moving in my mind is Jonathan and David. Why? Because the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. Saul had a son named Jonathan. When you're the son of a king, you are technically the who? The prince. You are in line for the throne. So Jonathan, I would imagine all his life had heard this phrase. Oh, you're going to be king one day. Oh, you're going to be king one day. Oh, look at the little guy. He's going to be king one day. So your whole life has been built into you being king. But along the way, you develop a friendship with a young man that you now think the Lord is leading to be king, not you. Now, you either go the jealousy route and shut him down or you submit to what the Lord has. He ends up bonding with this guy and they become best friends. His dad turns out to be a psychopath. He's trying to kill his best friend all the time, throwing spears at his head, stuff like that. That's not good. So he starts interceding and protecting and shielding his buddy against his dad, who's so off in the head, his dad warns him, get in my way again, I'll take you out too. Jonathan stood in the gap in a very dangerous way, but perhaps the most famous story is Esther, yes? Here's a young lady who wins a beauty pageant, yay! Oh no, I'm now in the creepy king's house. I'm now one of his new wives. I don't even like this guy. I don't know this guy. But now I'm in a pagan king's house. He does not know I'm Jewish. Come to find out one of his right-hand men was an extraordinary racist. Ends up coming up with a plan to do his very own holocaust, an ethnic cleansing of the kingdom to eradicate all Jews. Problem is, she's Jewish. Her uncle slash cousin slash, I don't know what he is, Mordecai, comes to her and he's like, hey girl, real quick, you're Jewish, I'm Jewish. He wants to kill us all. I need you to go to the king and fix this. She said, well, that's a terrible idea. You see, because I'm one of his many wives and he hasn't called for me in a while. And if I go too early and he gets ticked off, he'll just have me killed. But then Mordecai's response is powerful. It's haunting. I'm going to read it to you. 
Here's what he says. Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What was his point? Hey, hon, I appreciate that you think that you're going to survive all this stuff while the rest of us take the hit. Here's what I'm going to tell you. It's still going to come back and bite you. Is God going to still protect? Probably you're not going to get the blessing. But let me tell you this. I know your whole last few years has been this experience of, oh, how did I win? Oh, my goodness. I didn't even realize I was that good looking. Wow, my whole life has changed. I'm now a queen. This is crazy. I wonder how I'm supposed to maintain this entire life. Could it be that the whole reason you're here is for this exact moment? You keep thinking it's an option. What if it's the point? What if the whole reason God had that beauty pageant come through our hometown? The reason why you were born the way you were born the way that you were selected, the way that you're still in the throne room access is because God needed you to save your people. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you in your app is this. Other people's pain is our problem. Other people's pain is our problem. You see, every one of those people could have stayed out of it. Because it wasn't their thing. But other people's pain is our problem. Why? Because we're Christians. That's why. Would you open up your Bibles to the book of Philemon? It is after the book of Timothy. There's a little tiny one that will throw you off called Titus. Ignore him. Go to the right. It is Philemon. If you hit Hebrews, you went too far, all right? Little small book of Philemon. I'm going to give you a little recap on the story, getting you up to speed. We're talking about the ancient world and a time in the Roman Empire where there was a lot of slavery. The slavery was somewhat watered down. Some of it was about debt payment and all that. Regardless, it's still slavery. There was a non-believing slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus. He was a slave in the house of a Christian man named Philemon who ran a church in the house. One day he's like, enough of this. I do not want to be under anyone else. I'm out. He ends up bailing out and running away. In doing so, not only was it illegal, but he ended up defrauding the man by taking some of his property along with him. On the way, he ends up in the house of Paul the Apostle. Paul shares the gospel with him, spends time with him. The man gets saved, radically transformed, ends up becoming a huge help to Paul the Apostle taking care of all of his stuff, doing errands for him, encouraging his spirit. Paul loves this young man. But they get into the conversation of, hey, buddy, you do realize you got to go home, right? You got to face up to this, own this. We got to clear your debts. 
we need to be right before God. So he agrees. And Paul said, I'm not going to let you go home alone. I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to involve myself in your scenario to try to make sure that it goes well for you. Right? In the letter, Paul says to Philemon, hey, I not only need you to let this guy go and give him his freedom, but I want you to send him back to me. So this whole thing is going to cost you big time. I understand that. However, he's a big deal to me, and I think it's the right thing to do. That's where we left off last time. Would you turn with me to verse 15 of Philemon? Right here we go. Verse 15. This is where we begin. Paul said, for this, him getting saved, perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. That you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave or bondservant, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? What was Paul's point? Man, if he would have stayed with you, he may not have gotten saved. But now he hung out with me. He is now a new creation. How awesome is that? Man, there's a bunch of stuff God's doing here. He was once in the kingdom of darkness. Now he's in the kingdom of light. You got to say that's a win all the way around, right, Philemon? Okay, what's the problem with that? When Paul says, hey, maybe this is why you guys got separated. What do you think Philemon's response is going to be? Oh, I'll tell you why we got separated. Don't give me this whole Christianese stuff that you're going to put all over it. Here's why we're separated. The dude bailed on me. It's very clear. Don't put me in this. We weren't parted. He bailed. I'm still here. So, Paul, don't get in there and start getting all crazy and holy on me and tell me why there's a deeper reason. What was Paul's point? I hear you. But what if there is a deeper reason? You know, I imagine that Paul had a certain story in mind when he's telling this. It's not like Paul hadn't lived this. Y'all remember the story of him and Barnabas splitting up? Do you remember that story? Why would that be in his mind? Because at the end of this letter, Paul's going to say that there's a young man with him right now named Mark. John Mark was the whole reason they split up. Y'all remember that? Here's how the story goes. Paul's on a missionary journey, ends up taking along a super awesome guy by the name of Barnabas. He was the one that brought Paul in with the right hand of fellowship. He was known as the son of encouragement. They were like the power team. You had all the fire and brimstone of Paul and all the grace and love of Barnabas. They connected together and the gospel was exploding all over the known world. Along the way, they decided to take Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, a young man. And they were in some sketchy ministry. They were like getting rocks thrown at them and all this stuff. And the kid was nervous. They then say, we're going to go up to this territory. And it was a particularly scary trip. And John Mark said, guys, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. So they release him. The whole time Paul's muttering, you wimp. He goes home. 
they go to do the second missionary journey together and they get the team back together. And Paul says, Barnabas, you ready to roll? And he said, you bet, sir, let's do this. I got John Mark on his way. I'm sorry, who? John Mark, my cousin, you remember him? Oh yeah, that kid ain't coming. What do you mean that kid ain't coming? That's my cousin. The dude is a sissy. That's all I'm telling you. He is not coming with us. He bailed out right when we needed him. So no, he's not coming. Well, if he doesn't come, I don't come. Well, then I guess you're not coming then, huh? And they get into this whole fight and they split. They don't do ministry anymore together. That whole thing is sad. And in my opinion, it was wrong. I think that we had egos going. I think we had a whole bunch of different problems that were happening there, right? Paul, you think he doesn't have this in his mind? Now, later on, everything got reconciled. But in that moment, it split up a team. There was probably a lot of heartache. Now, here's what I bet a lot of people would come back and say to him. Paul, it's all good. It's all good, man. You know what ended up happening? Like you split up, right? And I know that was totally hard on you. Anyway, whatever. So more ministry was done. Yeah, right? Like Barnabas went one way with John Mark and there was all kinds of cool ministry. You went the other way and there was cool ministry over there. So it's all good. Is that what you want to hear when your heart still hurts and you're frustrated? Of course not. Why? Because you're still in the flesh place of stinging from your wounds and saying, you know what? The reason we didn't go together is because Paul is a jerk. And Paul's going, the only reason we didn't go together is because Barnabas just keeps hanging out with sick dogs and he wants to take one with us and I don't need that kind of baggage. Okay, that's real humanness. You see, in my life, I've had all kinds of ministry challenges with different people, right? And splits with friendships and stuff like that. And you know, a lot of people would come in with this perspective and say, you know, it's all good, Pastor. Man, they went on, they did a bunch of ministry, they would have never done that ministry here, they did a bunch of ministry over here. Is that really what I want to hear? Nope. Here's what I want to tell them. You know why they're no longer here? Because they bailed. Because they're this and they're that, and they did this to me, and they did that. Why? Because I'm living in the flesh. But what if there was a bigger reason? What if there was a deeper thing God was doing? You see, it's my own immaturity that can't get there. But God's bigger than all that. Because, see, the thing is, is God's orchestrating this big movement. He's moving things in and out. And He's moving lives. And He's reconnecting relationships. And He's doing all this extraordinary work. When I grow up, I'm going to realize that. Right? So let me ask you in your life, is there a reason behind the reason of what's going on in your life? You have some pain, you have some difficulty, and somebody else wants to get all holy on you and say, I think it's all good because it redeemed. Now it's part of your testimony. You don't want to hear that. But what if it's true? What if God really did say, no, 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 I'm not excusing the bad stuff that happened. As a matter of fact, I'm not cool with Paul arguing with Barnabas. They should have sorted it out. But I'm brilliant. I can work with anything. Yeah, they messed up. You know what I did with it? I made greater glory. You know what I did with it? I moved and did more ministry. You know what I did with it? 
awesome. So, yes, should they have done it? Probably not. But that's not the point. The point is God's in control and he will be glorified. In your life, there may be things that have caused you pain, difficult things that have wrecked your spirit, things that have severed you and felt like you lost and you lost and you lost. But Ultimately, God said, I'm not just going to leave it as a loss. I'm going to do something extraordinary with it. And I will redeem your pain. I will not just let it be pain. I will move forward and our kingdom will advance. Amen? Amen. 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 You see, here's my view when people ask me, uh, is it free will or is it predestination? Is God's sovereignty where he's in control of everything? Or is it us making the decisions? How does it work? You ready for my answer? Here we go. God is smart enough, creative enough, and powerful enough to not be thwarted by our lousy decisions. It's not that it's... Amen. Amen. It's not that he's forcing our hand in everything. It's that he knows how to work with anything. He's that smart. It doesn't remove our responsibility. We are still held accountable for what we do, but it doesn't violate his sovereignty to do what needs to be done. Amen? All right, there you go. Okay. So all you have been at Bridgeway for a long time, is it free will or is it predestination? The answer is yes. yes. Praise the Lord. Okay. (laughs) That's right. Here's the last couple things I think Paul just said there. I think he said, Philemon, your dreams for Onesimus were too small. You had a dream where he was going to help you build your kingdom. You know what? You didn't expect what God did with him. I didn't expect it either. When I opened that door, all I saw was baggage and drama. I never expected he was going to get saved and become one of my most powerful helpers. You know what? You never knew he was going to get saved either. You didn't know how this was all going to turn out. But your dreams and plans for Onesimus were smaller than God's. Buddy, it's not just about you. It's about a bigger kingdom play. So for all of us making that personal, there's a lot of stuff where we have a very, very small view of what we can do or what our resources should do, right? Let me give you an example. Are you thinking retirement when God is thinking kingdom glory? Are you thinking relaxation when God is thinking transformation? Are you thinking people working for you when God sees them as people to be tended? Are your dreams too small? Maybe we need to let God have a little bit more access and control to do the bigger thing. Amen? Amen. Let's go back into God's word. He said, Paul starts laying it on pretty thick. So Philemon... If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Boy, that sounds familiar. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Okay, that's a little jab there. Paul's like, are you saved? Oh, you are. That's right. That was in my ministry. Whoa. So you're going to heaven. Thank you. (laughs) But here's what he said. He said, if he has wronged you or he owes you anything, why would Paul say that if he didn't? Because then you just start stirring up problems. 
right? If he didn't really take anything, now Philemon's like, hey, now that you mention it, he walked off with my best shoes. I can't believe it, right? Paul would have never brought it up. Here's what he's saying. You and I both know he took stuff from you. You and I both know he owes you stuff. What I'm telling you is don't look at him. Look at me. I'll pay it back. Me hanging out in home arrest. I clearly don't have a job right now. Don't have a lot of cash, but hey, dude, I'll pay you back. Right? In other words, if you got a problem with him, you got a problem with me because I keep inserting myself into the issue. I'm writing it with my own hand, Paul, really big. Why? Because you know, dude, I can't even see right now. So if you want me to repay it, I'll repay it. I think you owe me your whole life, so I don't think you should charge me, but whatever. You want to charge me? You can do that. So he throws out this massive uh, ask or request to Philemon. Now, what would Philemon's response be? Once again, if we're going to read scripture, it's a real story of real lives. How would you go through this? I'm going to tell you it is likely that Philemon struggled with at least two fears. First fear, the fear of enabling, right? Hey, what did you do? Uh, you ran away from me. I told you not to do that. Hey, what did you do? You took stuff from me, told you not to do that. So now, according to Paul, I'm supposed to say we're all good. What? that's not going to enable bad behavior. Don't we all play the enabling game? right? The reason I don't help is because it will enable them. If I give them this, then they're going to do this. And what is that really going to teach them? Paul said, that's not for you to worry about right now. Not in this scenario. There are some scenarios you need to worry about enablement and you need to worry about your attitude and behavior. You need to have proper boundaries. But in this particular area, I'm asking you do it for me. It's not about enabling him. I think he probably had a second fear, the fear of the greater cost. What do I mean? There is nothing in the Bible that says that Philemon only had one slave. What if he has a whole staff? What do you think that's going to look like? Hey, here comes Onesimus. Whoa, man, Philemon's going to drag that guy through the mud. This is going to be hardcore. I wonder how he's going to correct him. Oh, they just had a meeting. Onesimus is free. You think that he doesn't have 14 people at his doorstep the next morning? Hey, so I was thinking of running away too. And I was just wondering if you could go ahead and just free me now, (laughs) right? What is the cost? When you set one free, then you set what? Everyone free? You see, Paul seems to be asking me for one thing, but I feel like it's going to cost a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm not sure I want to go there. We must always, as Christians, make a determination on whether it's right or wrong. You cannot allow cost to stop you from doing what is right. Either it's right or it's not right. Because if you start bending your decisions based on cost, you are no longer guided by the Holy Spirit that talks about right and wrong. Paul personally involved himself in all of this mess. Okay, let's close it out. Here's what he says. Yes, brother, Paul says, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Like, yep, I'm asking you for stuff. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
When I opened this letter, I, I called you the refresher. You're refreshing everybody. How about refreshing me? Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Oh, by the way, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That was a tough hit at the end, wasn't it? Hey, what I'm asking for is stuff. I need you to do this for me. I'm confident you're going to say yes. As a matter of fact, I am confident you're not only going to say yes, you're going to give me even more than I asked for. That's bold. And you go, Paul, do you have like no social grace? I mean, is it like, do you not know how to work with people? Like, what is wrong with you? Why would you push so hard? Because he's not letting up. Push, push, push. You see, a lot of times everyone thinks that Christians have to always be gentle. I believe we need to be gentle and peaceful, and I think that we need to be like Jesus. But there's times that Jesus got riled and kept pushing and said, we're not doing this anymore. I think that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to push and push again. He went right into the mix and said, this is going to happen. And I'm willing to go the full distance to make sure this happens. I think that's important. Here's the last thing that I thought was kind of funny. Paul said, oh, by the way, I'd love to come visit. So if you could just get a guest room ready for me, how awkward would that be if he said no? Right? If he's like, well, he didn't release Onesimus and then ding dong, here's Paul. Hi, let's talk, right? And here's the other funny thing. He signs the letter with a whole bunch of names on it. What does that mean? We all have read the letter. We all know what you should do. We might all come visit. I don't know. Paul stood in the gap of a messy situation that didn't have to be his. Why? Because it was right. Y'all, there are some things you need to step into and start working on. You're going to say, well, that's not really my problem. Other people's pain is our problem. We're Christians. Well, you're like, well, I can't do everything. Okay, so let's be clear on this. We are unfortunately in an era of humanity where we are bombarded with information. Man, you just open up your, what, your news feed? Boom, everything's wrong with everything. You can't do everything. I'm not interested in everybody doing everything. But there's a few that God is highlighting for you. There's a few that, why do you know that that is a problem? Because God highlighted it for you. You think everyone else should be seeing it, that it's obvious to everyone else. It's not. Why? Because it's your calling. Not everybody has the same calling. Why? We got to divide out and conquer and start taking a lot of territory. If we were only all focused on one thing, we wouldn't get enough done. But what is it? Some of you know a whole bunch about sex trafficking. Why? Because there's a ton of people in this world that know nothing about it. Why is it highlighted for you? You see... You can always say, well, that's not really my thing. Let me explain to you. You guys know my passions, why I do so much ministry in certain areas. Some of my primary passions are the issue of minorities in modern day America. That's a big deal to me. 
I don't see it being good or right. The LGBTQ community, women in leadership and ministry, there's a bunch of things that are my passion. Now, do you all understand that technically I'm not a part of any of those groups? I easily can say what? That's not my problem. That's not my thing. Then why is it my thing? Because I think there are things that need to be done that are right. And the Lord has highlighted them for me. For me to walk away is disobedience. Does that make sense? But it comes at a cost. How much of a cost? I don't even know yet. I paid a whole bunch, but if God showed me the cost in advance, I would have never done it. God has more along the way. Here's all I'm telling you. There is some things you know for a reason. And you need to do something about it because you're a Christian. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Amen. Yeah. As the prayer team is coming forward, there's no way we're going to close out a day like this without talking about the number one thing. The number one thing, the most important thing that I could be preaching about right now. What is that? Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity stepped out of his comfort zone, came down and interjected himself into our mess and baggage that he had no responsibility for. Sin is not his problem. That's our problem. But what did he do? He left what the Bible says in Philippians, left the perks of the Godhead, meaning all the fancy stuff where he was praised and heralded as the king he is, came down to a place where he was disrespected, spat on, murdered. Why? To heal us. His love was so great that he pushed through everything, set everything aside, and said, I will not rest until they rest. Therefore, what he said was, I will go to the cross. Their sin will become my sin and they will be cleansed. Therefore, there is an opportunity today that the Holy Spirit may be laying upon your heart and saying, have you even allowed that to happen for you? Are you allowing his grace and his forgiveness to wash over you? I would hate for him to do all that and come here and it not be effective for you. Therefore, all of us need to consider, is his love promoting us to do something else? Is it pushing us to live a different life? Is it transforming us so that we might be children of God? Ah, you see this team up here. Every one of these prayer team members is hoping and praying that this is your day of salvation. Why? If you don't, if you've never allowed Jesus to be that for you, today is your day. And they're ready for you. You just come up at the end and say, I would like to become a Christian. They'll lead you through it. For all the rest of us that call ourselves Christians, God's love should increase our love for other people. Amen. I'm just going to pray a washing over you as you leave. Yep, let's do this. Heavenly Father, we say thank you. We say thank you, Jesus, for coming down and being involved in a scenario that wasn't your doing. You had every right to say you could be enabling us. The cost is too high. We did it ourselves. We deserve it.
And with all those justifications, you push through anyway. And you said, but my love won't let me stop. God, would you give that same passion and drive into each one of your children here that we might be able to transform this world for your kingdom. And Lord, if there are any here that you are weighing upon their heart and saying today is the day that you would be cleansed, today is the day that you begin anew, Father, would you draw them forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next time.